You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, that kind of sucked. The Buffalo Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars 6-9 to in a game that was not as nice as you would otherwise think it would be this past Sunday. And it was probably the most upsetting loss that we've seen recently from this Buffalo Bills team. A lot of discussion was made as to whether or not it was the most disappointing loss of the Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean era. The thing that I think is really interesting about this particular game is that it continues a trend of the Buffalo Bills playing uncomplimentary football. Against the Tennessee Titans, the Defense of the Buffalo Bills let the team down. The offense was scoring. The defense couldn't score. Now, the offense, you could argue, should have done better in the red zone, and that's fine. But ultimately, that was a multiple drives in a row. Score, 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 score from Tennessee. But then, against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the defense shut them down. And the offense was the culprit. The offense was what let down the Buffalo Bills. And so we're all feeling really despondent this week. Now, we already talked about how to process losses, and we've talked about that on this podcast multiple times. But the thing I think is interesting is this loss, more so than most, gives us as fans an opportunity to learn. Because we always talk about what the team is going to do differently. What is the team going to do differently to affect the outcome. And somehow we think that because we don't affect the outcome, therefore it's not put on us to actually learn anything. There's no onus on us to get better as a fan base. There's no onus on us to improve or develop. But I think there is. I'll give you a great example. If ever there was a week for the, so you think you know more than the team guys, To take a gigantic L, this is the week. Because now all of a sudden, those same people 
who are so you think you know more than the team, every single time someone dares have a different opinion than their favorite team because their favorite team is clearly perfect. All those same people are up in arms about what the team should have done, what they could have done. Why didn't we make a trade at the deadline, they say. And that's when you go, oh, so you think you know more than the team? Inevitably, people who use that at you eventually get that used back at them. Because that's the way this works. When everything is going hunky-dory, and historically, that's the off-season, then they're like that. We have two versions of fandom that we go through. The first is in the off-season, where everything your team does is amazing, and how dare anyone ever talk to you differently about it. And the second phase of fandom is during the season, where every win is amazing and every loss is the end of the world. Those are the two phases of fandom. And it's completely intellectually dishonest. I did a pod ranking the Buffalo Bills needs before free agency in the draft and talking about needs and how need doesn't necessarily mean now. And interior offensive line was a big part of that need. It was a big part of what we talked about. The Bills re-signed John Feliciano, who I said in the offseason probably wouldn't have re-signed. He's meh, player. They passed on a couple different offensive linemen on the interior that I liked. One of which being, of course, Creed Humphrey, who now everyone's thinking should have taken him instead of Boogie Basham at 61. But if ever there was a week for us to learn that that mentality, the so you think you know more than the team mentality, never holds up, ever, ever. It will never hold up. Because the teams aren't perfect. No team is perfect, flawless, or without holes. Every fan base across the entire NFL has some position group they're concerned about. Some position group that didn't get addressed the way they wanted to. Because resources are limited. Limited draft capital. Limited cap space. Opportunity costs. These are real things. No team is perfect flawless, or without holes. Team hasn't suffered a serious, major, season-ending injury, but yet there are holes all over the place. It's amazing. We went from, we have the luxury of being able to pick a running back in the first round. We went from that to there are holes all over the offensive line. We need another receiver. And nobody really got hurt. Nine weeks is how long it took the team to go from flawless to incredibly flawed. The truth is, they were always flawed. Every team is flawed. So this is an opportunity for us to learn that so we don't then suddenly forget this feeling. Don't forget this feeling. Use it to learn. Don't forget this feeling when it gets to the offseason and all of a sudden, sunshine, butterflies, and rainbows are clouding our vision again. I understand that hope is a big part of the offseason and that's great, but ignorance doesn't have to be. Hope can continue to exist without completely blinding us to all of the potential issues associated with the team. Because expectations minus reality equals disappointment. However good you think you are, makes you sign off on being cute in the offseason, that's not the level of good you probably are. So the first lesson that I think we can learn 
from a humiliating and humbling loss is that no team's ever perfect. No team's ever flawless. No team is ever without holes. And teams make mistakes. And that's okay. The second thing is that good quarterbacks, good head coaches, good GMs, and good coordinators have bad games, make mistakes, and miscalculate. That doesn't make them not good. Josh Allen's still a good quarterback. Brandon Bean is still a good GM. Sean McDermott is still a good head coach. All of those things are true. Why? Because the sample size says they are. The sample size says they are. They weren't good because they had a good game this one time, and they're not bad because they had a bad game this one time. The sample size says they're good. They're good enough for long enough to officially call them that. The third thing is that building your team to beat one team is foolish. The Buffalo Bills this offseason had a narrative surrounding them that was a big part of the content creation and media community. And it was, what are the Bills doing to beat the Chiefs? How did they get better to beat the Chiefs? What if the Chiefs don't make the playoffs this year? What if you built your entire team around beating a team that isn't going to be there to beat if you get to the AFC Championship game? What if they're not there in the wild card round of the playoffs? Building your entire team around this idea that there's one team standing in your way completely misses the randomness associated with football. Be as good as you can for as long as you can and hope for some luck. That's what you want to do. Be as good as you can for as long as you can and hope for some luck. Because sometimes the luck doesn't bounce your way. Sometimes things don't happen the way you want to. The window can close just like that. The Kansas City Chiefs are scrambling right now to be able to get reasonable defensive play and get back the MVP level Patrick Mahomes. They thought the window was open forever. Maybe it's not. Maybe you shouldn't build your team to beat one team. So those are lessons we can learn now that will make us better and more informed fans this offseason, next offseason, the offseason after. All of those times, we can be better because we learn these lessons now. No team is flawless, perfect, or without holes. Good quarterbacks, good head coaches, good GMs, good coordinators can have bad games. The sample size is what makes them good. And then building your team to beat one team, probably foolhardy. So those are the lessons I think we can learn. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. Now that I've had a chance to get my monologue in, we got some stuff to talk about. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I went off on a tangent about some things we can learn from a loss like this as fans. But now we're going to talk about some stuff that we saw on Sunday. And I kind of want to talk about how it's all really connected. It's all a little bit like dominoes. I don't know if I'm dating myself at all. But if you ever played dominoes when you were younger and you set up these elaborate things and you put all this stuff into motion for one awesome moment where you would click it and it would fall down and hit the one next to it and it would just all of a sudden start going. I can still hear it in my head. That ever so satisfying clinking noise that goes one after the other after the other. Rapid procession. It's pretty awesome. I'm not going to lie. But let me outline a less awesome domino scenario for you. The offensive line can't block. So the increased pressure leads to hero ball quarterback. You can't settle or assist the hero ball quarterback with the run game because you guessed it, offensive line can't block. That's a less fun dominoes scenario. Offensive line is the first domino to go. And it affects everything else from it. You know, it's funny. We call defensive line players who are superstars. We call them people who can wreck your game plan. That phrase is used all the time. He can wreck your game plan. We have scenarios all the time. These legends of defensive line players who have to be held out of practice because the offense can't get anything done with this guy wrecking their game plan. They can't get anything installed because they can't see how the players are supposed to develop. Because they can't see how the plays are supposed to develop. Because they keep getting this defensive lineman in the backfield. We call those people game wreckers. We call them that for a reason. Because we know that getting that type of pressure can wreck your game. We know that already. But then when the entire offensive line is struggling, we come back with, well, we should have called different plays. Well, you can't have it both ways. You can't say simultaneously, yes, those people are game wreckers. Oh man, we need a game wrecker. We need someone who can wreck your game plan on the defensive line. And then also say, when all of the offensive linemen are struggling, well, I should have called different plays. You should have called different plays that would have dealt with that. There is no game plan for all of my linemen are struggling. There's no game plan for that. There might be a play for that. There might be a small handful of plays, in fact, but it can't be a game plan. You can accommodate, you cannot excuse. You can accommodate for having offensive line struggles temporarily, but you can't excuse it. You can't make it so it doesn't matter anymore. You can't just say, well, we were able to completely negate the fact that the offensive line was struggling really didn't affect us at all. We were able to have just as much success as we otherwise would have 
because we have special plays that no one else in the history of football has ever come up with when their offensive line was struggling. Now, you might say, Bruce, what about the screen game? Okay, let's talk about the screen game. Let's talk about Brian Dable calling screen passes. First off, we have to talk about what screen passes you're talking about. If you're talking about traditional running back slip screens, they are not designed to counter pressure. They're designed to counter blitzing. That is not the same thing. If you're getting pressure with four and you have seven men staring at Josh Allen, the running back screen, probably not going to work. It is best used when you're getting blitzers because then you can outflank them from a numbers standpoint. You are drawing numbers into the backfield and then getting the running back behind them so they're forced to chase him down from behind. It's a numbers game. Well, maybe you're talking about a different type of screen. Maybe you're talking about wide receiver screens. Well, you saw those. Specifically, you saw a couple to digs, saw some to Beasley. That's part of it. Well, what about some slants? You saw slants in the fourth quarter. Stephon Diggs was running slants. The draw game relies on the ability to outflank defenders by rushing upfield, and the running backs we have don't have the speed for that. So you're not going to see a lot of draw plays. You can't only call screens and slants. Again, you can accommodate, you can't excuse. Now, lest you go about thinking that I'm some sort of Brian Dable homer, and I'm saying there's literally nothing he could have done differently. That's not true. I have some thoughts actually of this. The first one in general is that the Buffalo Bills have never been a good screen team under Brian Dable, ever. And I think that's a coaching thing. I do. I don't think there's physical incapabilities of being a good screen team. I think they can do it by all means. But they've never been a good screen team. Changeli's teams were unbelievable screen teams. Now I'm talking about things like tunnel screens, which you very rarely see from the Buffalo Bills. One of their audible calls last year to beat zero blitz was a tunnel screen that went to John Brown. If you remember the Seahawks game, that was a play that got really big against the Seahawks. But it's not a huge part of what the Buffalo Bills do. And that's probably because a lot of offseason time is not devoted to it. And that's something I've been harping on for a while now. It's complicated. There's a lot of time that needs to be invested to be good as a screen team. And for whatever reason, the Bills never have been. And I don't think it's because they have physical incapabilities. So that's, that's a discussion about Brian Dable, in my opinion. I would love to see some boot action from under center. I would love to see Josh Allen be able to get on the perimeter of the defense with the ability to have high-low concepts and have people running away from coverage. He's good on the run, specifically running to his right. He's very good. He's a threat to run the ball. He has the ability and the speed to be able to outflank a defender who stays home. I think getting under center and getting boot action, I think is something that'd be a benefit, specifically if you're struggling to protect because Josh Allen can run away from it. He's also outside the pocket so he can throw the ball away. These are scenarios that I think would help. I'd love to see more jet sweeps with Isaiah McKenzie. You need to be able to throw a little bit of razzle-dazzle. You need to be able to misdirect. When you can't line up and beat people one-on-one all the time, 
This is what you have to do. Sometimes when Brian Dable will call something that is ineffective but creative, they'll say, oh my gosh, he's getting cute. Why don't you just line up and beat the man across from you? Well, apparently they can't. Apparently a little razzle-dazzle might be necessary because it's an offensive line that's struggling. They're not the worst offensive line in the league. They're middling. And when you have a middling offensive line, you're going to have games that are really good and games that are bad because you can't get the consistency because you're not an elite offensive line. Do you know who's consistently good? Elite offensive lines. Was anybody under the assumption that they were going to be an elite offensive line this year? I wasn't. I was hoping they'd be good enough. Another thing, pace. Let's go no huddle. Let's keep the same people on the field. Let's wear down the pass rushers a little bit. That's a good way to slow them down. A little bit of pace. The defense can obviously hold up. So let me see a little bit of pace. Misdirection might be necessary. Talked about the jet sweeps with Isaiah McKenzie. Counter plays. Love to see some wham plays. Let Quinn and Williams come up the field. You can't block him one-on-one. So bring a blocker across the formation to get enough of him so that you don't really have to do that. You have to make accommodations for the fact that your blocking is not great. And these are some of the things I'd like to see more of from Brian Dable than I've seen. So he's not flawless. He's not blameless. But the idea that there's some magic game plan out there where you can outline 40 plays that are all going to be great regardless of whether or not your offensive line is good is absolutely absurd. It's just another example of us blaming coordinators because they don't want to blame players. He's got blame. Brian Dable has blame. He has some of the blame. He doesn't have all of the blame. Nobody ever has all the blame. That's why we do plurality pie here. Because we understand that nobody ever has all of the blame. Josh Allen fumbling the ball at contact when he was a runner isn't related to the offensive line being bad. That's just Josh Allen making a bad play. Josh Allen clearing pressure and then throwing a pick is also not because the offensive line is bad. It would have been in the offensive line, let them get too far back into his face, and he got the ball tipped, and then it got picked. Sure, that's an offensive line issue. But Josh Allen didn't have a great day either. He had a bad day. Just stop trying to pick one person. It's all of them. It's always all of them. Josh Allen is six foot five and leads the league in tipped passes. Stands tall in the pocket, throws with a perfectly reasonable throwing motion. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, let's just go to quick passes, Bruce. Just short, quick passes. There's a reason why Josh Allen leads the league in tipped passes. It's because the offensive line's in his face. Oh, just go to quick passes. I actually think the opposite is true. Get the depth from the line of scrimmage. When you have quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, for example, who are six foot one generously, you need to get them back away from the line of scrimmage. This is why I want to see under center boot action. Get the depth from the line of scrimmage. That'll help with some of those tip passes. So these are some things I'd like to see and why everyone's got a hand in this. The offensive line's got a hand in it. Josh Allen's got a hand of it. Brian Dable's got a hand in it. 
And this is the plurality pie. Offensive line, 34%. Josh Allen, 28%. Brian Dable, 25%. Sean McDermott, 6%. Sean McDermott. The Jaguars players saying the Bills were lackadaisical. Josh Allen saying they wanted it more. That's a Sean McDermott thing. It is. I don't like to use the, they weren't ready to play, but they weren't ready to play. And that that reflects on Sean McDermott. Other, 7%. Offensive line, 34%. Josh Allen, 28%. Brian Dable, 25%. Sean McDermott, 6%. Other, 7%. Plurality pie of a loss. There's so much more fun in a win, aren't they? So much more fun in a win. We have emails to go through. Let's do it. Chris says, Bruce, I'm hearing many voices criticize Brian Dable for his play calling and clamoring for an offensive lineman was as loud as any other position prior to the trade deadline. However, I don't hear much about our running backs, which I find curious. I feel now more than ever, our system of dueling third round running backs is simply not effective. Against the Dolphins, the six man boxes dared the Bills to run. They did. And the result was pretty poor. Miami had no reason to commit more to defending the running game because we couldn't produce. Some might say it's scheme, but I've seen the Bills run gap and zone schemes with roughly the same level of success. It seems to me that the common denominator is our running backs don't have the traits to take advantage of their opportunities. Singletary doesn't have the burst to reach the second level and take advantage of his elusiveness. And Moss tries to bounce outside far too often for a guy built to run between the tackles in the NFL. So what do we do? I suggest the Bills sit Devin Singletary for at least a game and activate Matt Breida. Ron Moss between the tackles and the primary back. Perhaps some consistency from series to series will help him get going. Pepper in five to seven targeted plays for Brita to take advantage of his speed. Even if Brita's not the answer, perhaps the benching of Singletary will be enough to spark him. Spark a fire within him so that when he walks out of the building after being a healthy scratch and Josh asks him, where are you going? He doesn't even look back when he says, to get my job back. Be safe and well, Bruce. I appreciate the Bruce Almighty reference, by the way. I see what you did there, Chris. Well, I think you're going to get your wish because Zach Moss has been diagnosed with a concussion since you emailed this. At the time when Chris emailed this, Zach Moss had not been diagnosed with a concussion, but he has now. So I think you're going to see Singletary and Brita. It's not the combination you wanted ideally, but it is a combination. The reason why people are talking more about the offensive line than running backs is because the issue is in run blocking and pass blocking. It's not one or the other. It's both. If you upgrade your offensive line, you upgrade pass blocking and run blocking. If you upgrade your running backs, you just upgrade running back. That's it. And we know that good running backs do better than bad running backs. That's pretty easy to say. It's a better player. But offensive line is more correlative to rushing success than running back talent. So that's the reason why people are talking about making sure that you have a good offensive line in front of you. I was hashtag team do nothing at running back last year because I thought the running backs were fine if they got good blocking. They haven't gotten good blocking. They haven't been fine. So for me, I don't want to speak to anybody else, but I'm always going to be investing in the trenches first. Listen, if the trenches are topped out and you don't have improvements that can be made there, then yeah, by all means, let's invest in a running back. But until that happens, you're always going to get more bang for your buck investing in offensive line. Nick says, all right, Bruce, I got to ask you this question, although I don't want to. 
you were a proponent of waiting to give Josh Allen a big extension due mainly to the one year of franchise quarterback level play. Now, hypothetically, if the front office waited and the season is playing out as it is, how would you feel about a contract extension now? I'm still on board and I think he's a great quarterback, but I'd be lying if I said something didn't seem off this year. Thoughts? So I got this and I also got one from Patton about the exact same thing. Now that you have an extra eight games in a hypothetical scenario where Josh Allen wasn't extended, do you extend him? All right, so both these emails were roughly the same question. Number one, I wouldn't do a quarterback extension during the year anyway. So that that's completely off the table. But let's assume that he ended the year top 10 in QB stew, which is where he's at right now. Yes is the answer. I'd be completely on board with that. If you have a quarterback who finishes in the top 10 in QB stew two years in a row, absolutely, I'm down with it. Yep, you want to pay him top three money? I'm down with that too. So I would be completely okay with that. The fact that Josh Allen played poorly against the Jacksonville Jaguars doesn't take away from the good games he's played. So for me, I would be completely on board. Evan has a New York Jets take. Says the Buffalo Bills are going to solve their running game woes. It's easy. Just change Josh's position to running back. Run a wildcat offense. Also, sign O.L. Beckham. Because we don't know if it won't not help things improve. I love the quadruple negative. Also, the Bills convinced David DeCastro, Mitchell Schwartz, and Russell Okung that their injuries are healed and or to take their salary in a surefire can't miss new crypto, even better than Bitcoin, called Terry Bucks, and they come fix the O-line. Bills stumble into a 63-0 blowout versus the Jets because J-E-T-E reasons. Always appreciate it. Peter says, hey Bruce, wanted to get a take in for this week and I'll try and keep it short. I think it's clear the Bills simply aren't practicing the one game at a time mentality that they preach. We joked that, despite what they said to the media, the Bills treated the Chiefs game like it was a Super Bowl. And that was probably true. Now that seems to be a trend that continuing against bad teams. Did the Bills offensive line not take Jacksonville's defensive line seriously all week? It might explain why they didn't just get beat. They completely imploded. At this point, we can agree that opponents are taking us seriously. But even Shaq Griffin pointed out that it looked to the Jags that the Bills aren't doing the same. I still think it's a great team. Maybe I just like to think they lost simply because they did not take a regular season trip to Jacksonville seriously. I guess that's the easiest explanation to me. Thanks as always, and go Bills. This happens in games. Players will tell you this. Players will tell you that there's just there was a weird energy. We've had days. You have days where you go into your place of work and you're just not feeling it. There's a weird aura. There's a weird vibe in your office, wherever it is you work. If you're an accountant, if you work in a church, if you work in a school, sometimes there's a weird vibe. Sometimes it's because you just couldn't quite get the energy. There isn't a good energy. Sean McDermott talked about people that you can count on for energy, where you can go to to get it. Sometimes if those people are not quite there, the energy of the group sort of stinks. I don't think it's crazy at all. I think it's part of it. I think there's always going to be more of an X's and O's explanation. An X's and O's explanation. That's right. Yeah. That's a bad dad pun for today. An X's and O's explanation in regards to why a team didn't do well versus the team psychological aspect. 
Andy says, hi, Bruce. Uh, can we talk about Wyatt Teller? Specifically, the narrative that the Bills have made a monumental mistake in trading him. It's been around for a while, and I feel like it's been especially loud since the Jags loss. Well, it's going to be real loud now. Wyatt Teller signed an extension since you sent this email, Andy. We as a fan base really need to stop pretending that Teller would have developed into the exact same player if he remained with the Bills. It's easy to scream otherwise into the void, but I'd really prefer it if we didn't. There are so many factors that go into Teller being a good offensive lineman right now. The Browns have by far and away the best offensive line coaching staff on the planet. Three of the Browns O-linemen earned all pro honors in 2020, and Teller is playing next to a guy in Jack Conklin who is already an all-pro caliber player. These things matter. I agree with you. He probably wouldn't have been quite this good if he was with the Bills, but I think he would have been better than Cody Ford. I think he would have been better than John Feliciano. But at the time, nobody knew that. This is a classic hindsight. It's just the way it is. Now, if there's enough of these things, then at that point, you can talk about evaluation of traits and projecting because that's part of their job is to project what this person can become. It's part of the offensive line coach's job to know what this person can become and what I could coach him up into. So I do think it's crazy to like completely denounce Bean for it. I do think that's insane. But it's one data point, and if it piles up, then I think it matters more. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We talked about dominoes. We talked about lessons learned. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Bruce Exclusive. And if you didn't, I really make no apologies. Because I guess that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.